Hear now the word of the Lord. Now, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early, while it was still dark, and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there, and the face cloth which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in. He saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. After this, Jesus shows up three times. He appears to his disciples after his resurrection three times. The third time we find in chapter 21, the disciples are out on the Sea of Galilee fishing. Jesus shows up on the shore, calls them to the shore, makes them breakfast, and then has this conversation with Peter. Join me in chapter 21, beginning in verse 15. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said it to him the third time. Truly, No, excuse me, a third time. Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after this, he said to him, follow me. Let's pray. Father, would you help those words to ring in our ears, the words of our risen king, the one who was sacrificed for us, the one who gave his life for us and took it up again, would you help us to hear him this morning saying, follow me. As we consider these words in this book that you have given to us, would you help us not only to hear that, the voice of Jesus speaking to us, but would you humble us? Would you soften us? Would you give us not only ears, but hearts that are receptive to your voice? 
that will receive your powerful word in a way that it can, like a seed, produce fruit in our lives. That is only a work of your Holy Spirit. And so we ask for you to keep your promise as we gather in the name of Jesus around your word for your spirit to be at work. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. When I called my dad to tell him that we were expecting our first child, his first grandchild, it was an unexpected announcement for him. And I know that because of how he reacted to the announcement. I picked up the phone and said, Dad, guess what? We're going to have a baby. And instead of the expected response of, yay, congratulations, that's great. Instead, there was a long pause. (laughs) After which my dad said, well, son, what are you going to do now? (laughs) What are you going to do now? Which is an odd response, but honestly, frankly, that was a question I was asking myself. What are we going to do now? What have we gotten ourselves into? Well, I... I think that was probably a question that was pretty important to the disciples. During the the time that we read about in the last two chapters of the Gospel of John, God had birthed a new world by raising His Son from the dead. A new creation stood before them in the body of their friend who had been tortured and murdered, but was now incredibly alive. And by their actions, we can say the disciples were thinking, what are we going to do now? What now? What, What does life look like after this stunning transformative event. That was, I think, not only a question for the disciples way back when, that is a question for us now, today. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Alleluia. Well, what are you going to do now? After the clothes go back in the closet... And the sugar coma wears off. What next? What about tomorrow? Jesus is risen. What now? Well, I want to come to this conversation that Jesus has with Peter here in John chapter 21. And I want to let Jesus lead us to a couple of responses. How should we respond to resurrection? We should respond with a new vocation and a new motivation. A new vocation and a new motivation. First of all, response to the resurrection, what do we do now? A new vocation. After the trauma of the cross and the shock of Jesus' post-resurrection appearances, Peter decides, let's go fishing. 
let's go fishing. You see this at the beginning of John chapter 21. And, and you've got to understand when Peter says that, he's not saying, let's take a vacation. He's not saying, let, this has been a tough time. Let's chill out about this. Let's take some time to relax. No, fishing for them wasn't a recreational activity. It was their livelihood. It was their vocation. It's how they made a living. And so Peter, in response to the resurrection, attempts to return to normal. But it's a failed attempt, right? These experts, they are out on the Sea of Galilee all night long, and they don't catch a thing. Jesus shows up on the shore and says, try the other side. Put put the net on the right side of the boat. And they do, and they catch more fish than they can carry. And they finally get to the shore, and Jesus has breakfast for them there. And after they eat, Jesus says, let's talk. Now, it might seem that that Jesus is affirming their attempt to return to normal by giving them a whole bunch of fish. Except after that, he says, Peter, let's talk. And he asks Peter a question. And it is a question that dismantles Peter's old vocation and redefines his new one. Do you love me? Do you love me more than these? That dismantles Peter's old way of life and it redefines his new one. We think that the, the, the question of the empty tomb is do you believe? Do you believe that this could possibly happen? And that's an important question. That's a question in many ways that chapter 20 of John's gospel is centered around. Do you believe? And you see and touch the resurrected body of Jesus. Do you believe? And when we get to the end of that chapter, it seems like the book should end there. But John kept writing. He kept telling his story because he wanted to say to us, there's a further question. Belief should lead you somewhere. Belief that Jesus walked out of the tomb should lead you to the voice of Jesus, inviting you to a new normal. Inviting you into a new world where your way of life is redefined by the question, Do you love me? Now that is not an easy question. Verses 18 to 19, Peter, before you were able to dress yourself and walk where you wanted to go, after, after this question, you will be led where you don't want to go. You see, the resurrection of Jesus meant a martyr's death for Peter. So this is not an easy question, the question, do you love me? Neither is this question a sentimental one. It is not a question about vague emotions of affection. 
No, as Jesus asked it, this is a practical question. Peter, do you love me? Yes, I love you. What does that mean? Feed my sheep. Tend to my flock. Love those whom I love. Become, in fact, an expression, a concrete expression of my love for them. It's interesting, when Jesus initially calls his disciples, do you remember what he says to those who were fishermen? He said, come to me, and I will make you fishers of men. Peter here tried to go back to being a fisher of fish. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. Once again, you don't, do, you don't get it, and so let's change the metaphor. You're no longer fishermen. You're shepherds. You are shepherds who keep my sheep, who feed my sheep. Our response to the resurrection must be an openness to vocational change. It must be a willingness for Jesus to transform our way of life with the question... Do you love me? Easter, not only Easter Sunday, but the Easter reality of every single day should be like flashing lights and sirens. What happens when when a police car, a fire truck, or an ambulance comes barreling down the street, lights flashing, sirens blaring? What happens? Will it interrupts and redirects the normal flow of traffic. That's what the empty tomb needs to do for us. The empty tomb needs to be lights flashing, sirens blaring, interrupting and redirecting the flow of our lives. The resurrection should mean an openness to the movement of Jesus taking us from being fishermen to being shepherds. Now that doesn't mean you all need to quit your jobs and become pastors and missionaries. What that means is that whatever you do for a job, your life should be organized around the principle of a love that looks like Him. It means whatever you do, the flow of your life, the direction of your life, is walking after Jesus with a love that looks like His. That's what you become about, whether you're working your job or going to school or with your families or with your church, because this love starts here in this room. Feed my sheep. Take care of my people. And that love then multiplies out to our neighbors and even to our enemies. 
our response to the resurrection must be an openness to that. It must be us awakening to a new normal. A new world re-engineered around love as He defines it. It should mean that we are willing to be led not just where we want to go, but even where we don't want to go. It, it should mean that we don't lead our lives, but our lives are led by His vision for us. His vision that we become a concrete expression of His love to others. Now, I know that probably makes a lot of you feel guilty. It certainly makes me feel guilty when I consider this high call of love that Jesus gives to us and the reality of my life. I feel a distance there. But let me take this in a different direction, would you? And let me commend you. And I know we have visitors here, but I want to speak to those who are part of Center Point, And I want to say... I see evidence of the empty tomb in you. I see evidence of the empty tomb in this room. Just in the past few weeks, in the ways that I've seen you show up for each other, I see Christ's resurrection changing us making us a community that reflects His love. No, we don't do that perfectly. But I see in you, and I want to celebrate with you, a faithful response to the empty tomb, to the resurrection of Jesus, so that my hallelujah in response to He is risen involves a celebration of what His resurrection has produced in us. So let's keep doing that. Let's keep living life together, a life that responds to this dismantling and redefining question, do you love me? Now why would we want to do that? Why would we want to do that? That means a horrendous death for Peter. Yay, Easter! (laughs) Why would we want this? This call means sacrifice. It means inconvenience. It means pain. Why would we respond to the resurrection with a new vocation? Well, because our response should not only be a new vocation, but also a new motivation. When Jesus uses the imagery of sheep and shepherd here, for attentive readers of the Bible, and especially attentive readers of the Gospel of John, that's not surprising. You see, the action of this book opens with John the Baptist seeing Jesus and saying, Look, behold, 
the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. In the middle of this book, in John chapter 10, Jesus stands up before the crowds and he announces, I'm the true shepherd. I'm the one who will lead you to God and life in Him. And I am not only the true shepherd, I am the good shepherd. Because I lay my life down for the sheep. Which is what He does at the cross. When Jesus goes to the cross, He goes as the Lamb of God. As the good shepherd. And so as he says to Peter, feed my sheep, Jesus' own body is marked with his love for those sheep. He has become the lamb, the sacrifice for their sins, so he could become the shepherd who leads them to God and life in him. And for Peter, that wasn't theory. That wasn't interesting literary connections, metaphors. That was a personal experience. He had experienced Jesus as the Lamb of God, the Good Shepherd. We're told in verse 9 of 21 that this conversation happens in the context of a charcoal fire. There is one other and only one other place in the New Testament where those two Greek words are used in combination. And it's in John chapter 18 where we read about the denial of Peter. As Peter stood around a charcoal fire in the high priest's house with a crowd of people curious about the trial of Jesus, and he stands there and says, Jesus who? I don't know him. I'm not connected to him. I don't belong to him. And so I think it's not surprising that as Peter does that three times around that charcoal fire, around this charcoal fire, Jesus asked his questions how many times? Three times. You see, Peter is not only experiencing the call of Jesus to love. He is experiencing the love of Jesus for him. Peter, in this moment, experiences, comes to know personally the Lamb of God who took away His sin. He experiences, He comes to know the Good Shepherd who laid down His life for Him, for His denial, for His betrayal. Peter is called not only to the love that looks like Jesus, but he experiences the restorative love of Jesus. And that becomes the source. That becomes the motivation for his new vocation. You see, he would not have been able to shepherd the sheep 
without having come to know the shepherd. And just as it was the source and motivation Peter's vocation, it must become the source and motivation of our vocation. If we are, give, are going to live lives around the organizing principle of love that Jesus calls us to, then we must come to know the depth of His love for us. You will follow Jesus even where you don't want to go. Only, only as you experience Him, know Him as the Lamb of God who takes away your sin. You will follow Him where you don't want to go only as you know, as you experience Him as the Good Shepherd who laid down His life and then picked it up again for you. Last week, I went to the Spring Opera at the FSU College of Music and I noticed in the audience there an, an older gentleman and it was one of those experiences where it was like, I know that man. Somehow I know him. I recognize him. And I kept trying to take non-awkward glances to try to figure out how I knew this man until I realized, hey, that's the guy who taught me trumpet in middle and high school a long, long time ago. And then it clicked for me. I was there because of him. Because, you see, he loved certain types of music. And then he invested enormous amounts of time and energy in me so that I grew to love the same That needs to be our relationship to the resurrected Jesus. He needs to be our trumpet teacher. That we come to know and believe and receive the depth of His love for us so that we grow to share in His love for others. As John writes in his letter, you will love only because you have been loved. And our lives will look like that. We will step into this vocation only as we can see and hear Jesus the one whose body is marked by his love for us. The question, do you love me, will renovate our lives only as we see and hear the one who asks the question with love inscribed on his body. 
We will live this way only as we know Him, standing now, now, now in heaven, praying for us, ruling over the church, but with His body scarred by His deep love for us. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Alleluia. What are you going to do now? Let's pray.